Hello, I'm Lara Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. Winter seems to be winding down here in Seattle. The trees are beginning to bloom, the days are getting longer, and that change in the weather already has me looking forward to a new season of fruit. Spring rhubarb, summer peaches and berries, and then maybe I'll be ready for apples and pears again later in the year. Today's guest shares her lifelong love of those fruits and more in her new book, Simple Fruit. Lori Falzer is a Seattle-based pastry chef and cooking instructor and longtime friend of Booklarder. She taught some of our first pastry and baking classes when the shop first opened. She visited our kitchen in February 2020, where she talked about her career path, the process of writing her first cookbook, and her favorite ways to cook fruit simply and deliciously. Here's Lori Falzer and Simple Fruit. So as I was driving here, I realized that I may not be standing here right now if it weren't for Book Larder. I taught here for a little while. It was before Rachel Coyle started here as the culinary manager. She came on and then she was taking a lot of the pastry classes. But me teaching here made me in contact with Lara. And Susan Roxborough at Sasquatch, who's my editor, had contacted Lara and said, we're looking for someone to do the baking for a book. And this was a book that was by Jesse Olson Moore. It's called Secret Lives of Baked Goods. They called me the week before they were going to shoot the cover. I didn't know any of them. I'd never done this before. So we shot the cover for that. And then I ended up working with the photographer who was Clara Barboza and we finished that book. And so, of course, I didn't write that book, but I did all the, the baking and the styling for it. And during that time, Susan said, so are you thinking about writing a book? And I was like, oh, I don't want to think about that right now. You know, I was busy. It was a busy day. So I was busy. And so I kind of put her off and I put her off. And she sort of kept kind of needling me a little bit. Every once in a while, she would needle me just a tad. But had it not been for maybe that connection early on through Book Artists, there you go. Community, right? <laughs> so um, let me just talk a little bit about how I got here. A lot of people don't know that I actually didn't go to culinary school until I was in my mid-30s. I know some of you know that. So I went a different route and had always, always sort of had this idea in the back of my mind, but thought, well, that's not very practical. And your parents say, well, that's not very practical. And so I didn't do that. <laughs> and that was way before the age of food craziness, right? The, the craziness of food that we have now that hopefully is passing a little bit. But at any rate... So, and it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I sort of had this lull and I was going to make a change. I was trying to decide what to do. And I said, well, I can buy a house in Seattle. Or I can go to culinary school. That was pre the downturn, 2006. And I decided to go to culinary school. <laughs> I still have, I have a house though. So that's a pretty good deal. It worked out for me. But at any rate, I, so I was in my mid-30s when I went to culinary school. I did go to the CIA out in New York, which is in the Hudson Valley. It's up in... Uh, uh, Hyde Park, which is about an hour and a half north of the city. So beautiful, beautiful area, amazing farms, and it really was the right decision. I really enjoyed my time there and was able to work at a bakery. It was actually called Baby Cakes. It was in Poughkeepsie. And I did spend some time out on Nantucket for four months working. And then after school, I did go up to King Arthur, and that's probably where my formative 
experience came from. I was not there very long, maybe a year and a half. I was tired of the East Coast. And so I decided to come back to Seattle, which again, I think was the right decision. And I was lucky. I came back to Seattle and got a job with uh, Sales Lodge and then became the pastry chef there. And that was an awesome opportunity also because we did so many different types of things. Everything is from amenities to, you know, banquet desserts, to fine dining, to bistro desserts, wedding cakes. We did everything. So it was really a great experience. One of my former protégés, who is now the pastry chef at Salish Lodge, is here, Molly. (laughs) And Carl, who was our GM, is here. (laughs) So left Salish and decided I wanted to start teaching. I realized that when I was At Salish, what I really enjoyed was training staff. It was the teaching element that I really enjoyed. And so I did start teaching. I actually went back to legal work for a little while and uh, started my business. So the book is the one that I always wanted to write, which is pretty lucky to say that because I had people over the years, I had a few editors approach me and say, would you like to write a book? So not anyone I knew, but, you know, just someone who said, hey, you know, we need a book written. And sometimes that's the way it happens. Uh, one of them was an instructional baking book that was going to have like all these plats and plates, you know, and photos, instructional photos. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that sounds so dry <laughs> and not not fun at all. But it didn't come about until I finally got my act together and uh, put together Simple Fruit. So besides the fact that this is about fruit, obviously, which I'm going to talk about a lot today. It's a lot about family. It's about my family and the, the impression that my mother certainly made on me. We just had fruit all the time. It just constantly in the house. And our lives were, I felt like, maybe the other kids didn't feel that way. I feel like our lives kind of worked along the lines of what was the season. <laughs> and it was good that mom had five kids because we did a lot of picking. A lot of blueberry picking, raspberries, strawberries. We went over to Eastern Washington and we got pears and peaches. We've got some funny stories and some of the stories are in the book. Not every single story made the book, but <laughs> uh, funny stories about just things around fruit and how they sort of impacted our life. But the reason I think that I could write Simple Fruit and write these recipes was that my mother taught me, and I don't think she realized it at the time, but she was teaching me not to cover up the flavor of the fruit. So what we would call sort of in the restaurant biz, protect the integrity of the product. And that's a very, you know, unusual way of saying, don't overspice, don't over sugar, you know, let the fruit shine. And so that's the idea behind Simple Fruit is to really feature the fruit. Now, most of the fruit is cooked. Uh, There's only one chapter where the fruit is not cooked at all, and that's in the raspberry section. Actually, I think there's one, there's sort of one recipe in there that's partially cooked. But I don't like cooked raspberries. And so when I was writing, I realized, oh, those aren't cooked. Okay, well, that's all right. But in most cases, they're all cooked, and they're all different types of applications, different techniques. We can talk about all kinds of fruit. I'm happy to answer your fruit questions. I try to give you a lot of that information in the book kind of basic storage and, you know, how to choose the fruit and how do you know when it's fresh or it's the right fruit or where do you go for fruit, all of those different things, Uh, and then how to treat it. So I have a friend who has been bringing me, I think I've gotten three batches of Meyer lemons and his mother lives in California. And so he keeps bringing me Meyer lemons and I don't want to be greedy, but I don't want to turn them down either. (laughs) So... (laughs) And so those are just amazing. If you can get a hold of those, I'm kind of having a little addiction right now with Meyer lemons. I 
redeveloped my, my, uh, lemon pound cake recently that I just didn't really like, and so I kind of reworked that. And there is a Meyer lemon recipe in the book. There's a couple, but one of them is the uh, Meyer lemon and buttermilk sherbet, which is great to make right now. Perfect. And there's a lemon tart in the book that doesn't necessarily call for Meyer lemons, but it would be fabulous. The lemon tart with the the poached blueberries. They're a cross between a pomelo and I think it's a tangerine. So it's a really, it's not a cross with a lemon. Uh, And funny thing about those, Meyer lemons were not popular for a long time. They were, I think they were bred in about the um, maybe early teens, early 20s, somewhere in there, 1920s, and by someone named Meyer in California. And he brought them out, but then they didn't really do a whole lot, and they lost, people lost interest. It wasn't until, um, until Alice Waters brought it back in the 70s um, and made it popular again. So I actually thought about whether I should put citrus in the book because I was really trying to concentrate on Northwest fruits. But I just feel like there's not as much available in the wintertime, and I don't think you want to miss the citrus. So there are an amazing amount of different types of grapefruits, which I think that it, you don't want to miss those. Um, and in addition to the grapefruits, I would say um, if you've ever had a Kishu mandarin, has anyone had one of those little tiny mandarins? Those things are awesome. They're not cheap, but they're awesome. <laughs> All the different oranges, Caracara, the blood orange. I'm also a big marmalade person. We love marmalade in our family, so I usually make marmalade. And you can get the Seville oranges. I don't know if those are quite out yet. Or So you can get the Seville oranges for that, which are the real bitter, bitter oranges. So there's just an amazing amount of fruit out. I do do a lot of shopping, obviously, because I teach for PC, so I'm there a lot. But I think probably their selection and maybe Central Market is just, you know, the selection is just spectacular, what they bring through there. So kumquats. Well, I've candied them which is kind of labor intensive because you have to cut them open and then you have to go in and fish out the seeds. So that's a little hard, but that's fun. I've candied them. And then also I've, what have I done? I've done like a marmalade with them. Questions? Yeah, Carla. The almond paste, is that the same as like marzipan that you can buy off the shelf? Almond paste is not the same as marzipan. Marzipan actually has more sugar in it. So you actually want to buy almond paste and some stores will carry it year-round. A lot of times what you'll do is you'll see it in a tube. It's that Odense brand. It sort of looks like a toothpaste tube style. But like if you buy it at like a PCC or some of the other markets, they may have it in a little bulk container selling it by eight ounces per. So yeah, almond paste is different than marzipan. And not all almond paste is created equal. So I've used a few out there I wasn't as thrilled with. I'll say American Almond makes, I I don't know if that's one you would buy. You could buy that online, but you wouldn't buy it around here. The Odense brand is great. I bought a couple French brands. Those are great. But I've used a few like Blue Diamond or something like that. Uh, was not good. So, (laughs) And I think sometimes it can be too much sugar. So almond paste generally should be 60% sugar. And I think some of those are more than 60%. So, all right. Yes. Yeah. Interestingly enough. So up until I went to culinary school, I was quite a cookbook collector, 
when I went, I really purged <laughs> and I got rid of a lot of stuff. I thought, you know what, if it's like, if you're not wearing it in the last year, if you're not cooking from it, you should get rid of it probably. So I went for a long time without too many cookbooks because I was using my, my kind of the ones that I really wanted. Plus my textbooks, of course, you know, sort of rediscovering baking and pastry. But I would say probably of the like home cookbooks out there, Dory Greenspan, definitely. Uh, definitely Julia Child. David Leibovitz, for sure. Uh, Nigel Slater, Stella Parks uh, wrote Brave Tart. She wrote a blog for years uh, under Brave Tart, and that's the name of her book. I'm trying to think of who else is out there that I really, I do, ha- I did start to recollect books as I kind of moved past, you know, culinary school and I was out teaching partially because I wanted to make sure I knew what my students were looking at. So occasionally I had a student who brought in a book. I go, oh, I need that book. Alice Medrich, for sure. Nigel Slayer, his book was part, a little bit of inspiration, I think, when I thought about what did I want my book to sort of be like or what was, who was I like? His book, Ripe, is the pairing to his book, Tender. So Tender is vegetables and Ripe is the fruit. All right. So the idea behind the pastries in the book is that they should be versatile and used many places. So this cake could be used with anything in the book. I mean, I have things like poached cherries or the sour cherry compote or the poached blueberries or the nectarine and peach saute. And there's just a huge amount of things that this could be used for. I also have a white cake in the book very classic white cake, but that could be used with several things. There are, I was counting on my head on the way down here, there are six pie recipes, pie styles. So some are actual pie and some are ham pies. So if you like pie, there's definitely pie in there. Can you talk about the process of writing the book? Yes, it was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up with the idea is not hard. Finishing it is hard. So let me say that, I mean, getting the proposal done was a little hard. If you don't know a lot about writing a cookbook, you actually don't write the whole book. You write a proposal, which is maybe 35, 40 pages. And you have to have all these components in there. And so I think that is kind of hard. Also, you start putting yourself out there. So you got to go, are they really going to like this? Even though I had someone needling me, you know, so that's helpful. So the easy part was the photography. And this is a good time to mention. Charity, please stand. (laughs) This is Charity Bergeroff. She did the photography. (laughs) And she's not only a fabulous photographer, but she's lovely to work with. So that was the easy part by far. It was enjoyable. And um, there is a lot. There's a photo for every recipe in the book. So that's great. The process. I I had it. I kind of had it all set up. I mean, honestly, if you go back to junior high and high school and writing papers and, you know, you lay out your outline, you kind of what it's going to be, work with the editor, you know, what are the recipes going to be? What are the components going to be? What it's going to be kind of, so the skeleton of it basically. And then you have a deadline. And so you just kind of keep working through. Another thing I should say is that you cannot write a book without testers. So how many testers do I have here tonight? Stand up, you guys. Stand up, testers. (laughs) So I think all my super testers are here. So that is a really big component not just that they're doing it, but that I'm 
monitoring all that. So, you know, everything you say, the way you say it and the way you send stuff out and I didn't send the right document and I'm missing this piece, you know, that's me missing the piece. So it's a lot to work with a lot of testers, quite a few testers. That was really great. But the amount of time that they put into it and what they do is just invaluable. You just cannot replace that. So thank you to all my testers. Yeah, I think I had about 18 testers probably, which is a lot. So, Is there uh, any lessons that you learned through the process yeah. that you would, in, in your next book, you'll be implementing? Thanks for saying next book. <laughs> it's in my head already. Um, is there any lessons? I think, yeah, I've learned a few things of just like working with a publisher and working with an editor. And I think I would um, not feel so worried or rushed about that. Sometimes it's not that they were doing it, but I think I felt kind of nervous and rushed sometimes where I think I should have stood back and said, oh, wait a second. I, I really need to think this out. Is this the right way to go? So I think not uh, being a little more confident, not second guessing myself or letting them lead me in a way that maybe then I kind of want to backtrack and go, no, I want to go this direction. So I would definitely say that the book, should I write another book, would be probably a little more instructional. So I would love to see um, instructional photographs. I think that would be really awesome to have. And I think a little more of the teaching component, I tried to get in as much as I could in this book. This was a much bigger book when we started. So we had 65 recipes and we pared it down very quickly to 50. I think in the future, what I would do is, is think a little bit about that because we wanted to include some instructional pictures and we didn't do that this time because the book got so large. So I think in the future, what I would do is I would know enough to look at and go, okay, I only want to do this many recipes because I want to include these instructional plates. Which apple varieties do you like to use in apple pie? Yes, which apple varieties do I like to use in apple pie? So I always use tart, sweet, and tart, sweet. So a tart is generally going to be Granny Smith almost all year long. But there's plenty of apples that come out during apple season that are tart. Orange Pippin, any of the russets are all tart. So if you catch some of those at the farmer's market, the PCC will have them. Some of the other markets have them. And then a tart sweet, generally this time of year, is going to be like a Fuji, a Braeburn, Pink Lady, Cameo, some of those, Honeycrisp. And then a sweet, generally I would say like Golden Delicious. Golden Delicious is kind of between tart sweet and sweet. But a Golden Delicious, an Opal is definitely a sweet apple. So I usually use like, if I'm using six, six apples, I use two, 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 probably. But that doesn't mean you can't go into your apple bin during apple season and you have 10 varieties in there and pull out six apples. You'll have an awesome pie. So the variety, what the variety of apples does is it gives you a variety of texture and flavor. So if you cook everything with, I know a lot of people like Granny Smith. I grew up when Granny Smith came out. It was really popular. But there's a couple things about those. First of all, they are really tart. So you do have to use a decent amount of sugar. And second, they tend to be a little dry. They don't cook down and they don't get saucy. And so if you cook with part tart, part tart sweet and part sweet, you have them, they cook down at differing levels. And then you also have a variety of flavor going across. So, and texture. And texture, right. So some of them will cook down a little more, some will cook down less. Can you use less sugar that way? Uh, that's a good point. Well, definitely, if you're, if you're going with Granny Smith now and you want to use the less sugar, yes, definitely. I don't use a lot of sugar in my, in my uh, fruit desserts in general. Um, I tend to hold back a little bit 
And like this, you could do this saute without sugar, for sure. And you can certainly cut back a lot of the recipes in the book, just as we're talking about sugar, if you're not baking it. So if you're not making a pie where it has to thicken, then you know you, you can use alternative sugars and you could use some substitute sugars too. What did you thank your testers? And I wondered what they did. What did my testers do? But we're going behind the scenes now. <laughs> uh, every recipe that's in the book got tested by two different people at least once. And if they came back to me and they had problems, mm. then I would make some corrections and I would send it back to them. I didn't have too many of those. And part of the reason is because this book is really a compilation of 10 years, probably. Recipes, I, some of the recipes I did when I was at Salish or even, you know, adapted way back when I was at King Arthur before that. And um, then through just the last, you know, 10 years or so. So they were pretty well tested. So I didn't expect there to be a lot of problems. But there was one, the chocolate cake in there that went back and forth. I can't remember who tested that. And we went back and forth on that a couple times, and I made a bunch of changes and then asked her to rerun it again. So, so then they would report back to me with a form, and I would ask a bunch of questions. They would confirm, you know, how they were measuring and how they were, you know, baking it. And, you know, if I had follow-up questions, I would just follow up with them. So I think the responses were quite smooth. It really went pretty smooth. For me, it was the amount of work of getting it out to them, getting organized, and knowing kind of who would be, you know, interested in which recipe, that type of thing. So, and I gave them a little bit of choice, you know, if they wanted to work on. I, had, I kind of worked it out in seasons. So if they weren't interested in testing that quarter, they just let me know. All right. Yes. Can you tell the story about your grandmother's? Yes. <laughs> I just finished that up recently. I had the last of the fruitcake from Christmas. So the fruitcake that's in the book, we almost got rid of the, the dried fruit section because we were looking for space and we had so many. And I said, I cannot get rid of that section because it's got the fruitcake in there and it's got to be in this book. Or I, I just, I have to publish that. People are hounding me for that recipe. So there's only two recipes I have ever held on to that I did not want to give out. And I told people, you know, I had people at Salish bothering me about the fruitcake recipe. And one was another one that someone had given me that I just committed to not giving out. So anyway, so I held on to this, my grandmother's fruitcake. So she always made it. And then of course, when we were growing up, my mother made it. And my mother always made a dark fruitcake and a light fruitcake. And I should say that my mother, my grandmother, 100% Irish. So this is definitely the, the British side for years, my mother made a light and a dark. Somewhere along the way, we just said, we don't like the light. And so she just made the dark fruitcake after that. But the reason I love this fruitcake is because it's mostly dates, raisins, and walnuts. It does call for a pound of candied fruit. And so my mother would always put in a pound of that candied fruit, orange, green, red. Yeah. I mean, it tasted great, but, and it is a little prettier, but I got rid of that pretty early when I started making it. But I didn't actually even make the fruitcake other than helping my mother make it. I didn't make it until I was probably in my late 30s. I didn't even make that cake because she always made it. So you make it three to four weeks before Christmas and it gets a little bit of a port soak. It comes out. It's not boozy. I don't really like boozy cakes. And so it's not boozy. And then you wrap it and put it into the cupboard for, you know, three or four weeks. And you can actually do another soak if you want to, or you can just leave it. So funny little story is that when I uh, made it, in fact, this might have been the first time I made it when I was in Vermont working for King Arthur. And I put, I made two and I put them in the cupboard and I pulled one out and it had been half eaten. 
I was in a rental and we had mice. So I didn't know we had mice. I knew then. <laughs> so that one went in the trash. But anyway, so it's a thing in our house. Fruitcake is just really a big deal. And it had to go in the book. I had people who just said, is the fruitcake going to be in the book? So I said, yes, the fruitcake's going to be in the book. So. And now she put salt in there. Yep. And I found that curious because it's a tart. Right. Well, salt is a balancer, really. So if you want, obviously, in, in some ways, you want in a savory recipe, you want the salt because you need the depth, right? But for something that's sweet or even a little sour and sweet, it's going to balance. So, you know, it, you may not notice a big difference between that that I only put in a pinch. So, you know, that isn't salted versus is salted. But in general, you're just giving it a little balance. It will balance, but it also can accentuate. So in this case, I think about it more balancing because it's kind of a tart sweet. Whereas with something that was really sweet, I would think that it's going to kind of bring out the, the sweet. I always stick with kosher salt because I think it has one of the better flavors of just a basic salt. And it's easy for everyone to get. So, And I, I don't think I have. I have some sea salt in my kitchen, but I'll use it for savory things, you know, occasionally. Oh man, what recipes didn't I put in? The citrus chapter was a little bigger. I, we had broken it into lemon and then I think orange and other citrus, I think. So I think there was probably three or four or three taken out of there. You know, it's been so long, I cannot remember. It was a little hard when I had to start picking some things to bring it, take out. Did you, did no, well, actually, I did have one in the book. And this was a, a recipe I created when I was at Salish. It was a cheese souffle, what we called a twice-baked cheese souffle. And it had candied persimmon, roasted figs, and some kind of apple. I can't, no, quince, quince, poached quince. And it never really did that well. It was my little baby, but it never did that well in the restaurant. <laughs> but I think that was in the book initially yeah and I pulled in fact it was in the dried fruit section I think and I pulled it you know what I don't do a whole lot of bananas so I really tried I, I I'm not a big banana person maybe that's why um, <laughs> I tried to stay away from fruits that don't grow here but I feel like you couldn't miss citrus right because you really need citrus so Obviously, I mean, I have a really great couple of great, really great pineapple recipes. I decided to leave those aside because I really wanted it to be more Northwest focused. See, I like fruit because it's tart and sweet. So it's tart and sweet. It's juicy. So bananas just in general doesn't do it for me because they're very sweet. Usually they're paired with caramel or chocolate. And that's just not my kind of dessert. So I think that's that was a huge part of it, too. Yeah. Other people will have a different opinion on bananas. <laughs> Any other questions? Oh, a favorite recipe in the book. Yeah, that's really hard. That is really hard to say. My scone recipe is in there, and I know people who have taken my classes have, have the recipe, but um, that is one of my all-time favorite recipes. It's just always fabulous. You know, I would probably say the just off the top of my head that the peach and nectarine saute is one of my favorites. This is one of my favorites. Gosh, it's hard to say. There is chocolate in the book. So I have a friend who <laughs> loves chocolate, and you'll bring her something, and she'll say, this is really good, Lori, but it's not chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, <laughs> I mean, you just cannot satisfy her. She just absolutely loves chocolate. There's a chocolate tart and there's a chocolate cake and there is um, a white chocolate mousse. I think that's it. Yeah. So there's a little bit of chocolate in the book. Yes. Sir. Yeah, frozen fruit is fine. I actually talk about it in the beginning of the book, and then usually I'll try to mention it in the recipe, whether frozen is okay, because it is really important, especially berries. If you want to use berries in the middle of winter, then you really need some often to use frozen fruit, right? So like for pies, no problem. Anything that's going to get really cooked down. Pies, I'm trying to think what else I have in there. If you're going to make a uh, sorbet out of it or an ice cream, frozen fruit is fine. You're going to make a sauce. That's great. Where you don't want to use frozen fruit, it's like one of the ones I prepared for this morning, the chocolate cake with, uh, it's a raspberry and orange compote. And I would not want to use frozen for that because once those thaw, they won't look very pretty. So presentation wise, the, t- the taste would be okay, but presentation wise, they wouldn't look. So I got fresh fresh raspberries, which as we all know, are very pricey this time of year, but it's, it's how it's going to be cooked. So if you're really going to cook it down, frozen is okay. Uh, I'd never use frozen pears or apples. Sometimes you get those. It's, you can't get them all the time, but those tend to not have the best texture. If you were going to cook them down and make it into a sauce, that would be okay. But if even in a pie, I don't think they're that great, but frozen, especially like frozen blueberries. Those are so easy. Frozen blackberries, marionberries, cherries, too, because cherries are hard to get, right? Yeah. Even rhubarb. So we were just talking about rhubarb before we started tonight. Rhubarb is just coming in, and it's the hothouse rhubarb, so it's the really beautiful, bright fuchsia pink. It's just so gorgeous. So rhubarb is just coming in. The book starts at rhubarb, and rhubarb is one of my favorite desserts. So I didn't even mention rhubarb when we talked about favorites. Rhubarb. Yeah, for sure. You like to pair it with another fruit, I assume. No. I, so the yeah, so the pie is actually called straight rhubarb pie, and that's how my mother always made it, and we love it, and we loved it tart. I didn't make it too tart in the book. I have a little bit of orange in there, but you could certainly add raspberries to it. No problem. Sorry, strawberries to it. No problem. But I like straight rhubarb. So there's a roasted rhubarb in the book that is really versatile. That's right, rhubarb fool. Yeah. Yeah, so it starts at rhubarb and goes all the way to citrus and then dried fruit. So, How about zest? How do you like to use zest in terms of intensifying or bringing up flavor? Right, so she was asking how do I like to use zest. First of all, I would say don't ever juice one without zesting first. If you're going to juice an orange or some other citrus, zest it and freeze it. So wrap it in plastic or put it in a little jar, put it in your freezer because you can still use that. So you don't want to lose it. But I use zest quite a bit. Um, zest is actually really good in your smoothies. It's real, and it's good for you. The zest is really good for you. I think in particular, grapefruit zest. Zest is probably the most uh, flavorful part of the entire fruit. So the juice, yes, is really fabulous, but the zest is what's really important. Like on the lemon pound cake that I said I just recently reworked, there is a lot of juice in there, but there's probably a tablespoon of zest, if not more, for one loaf cake. That's quite a bit. So zest is really important. Yeah. And then I'll also candy zest. You can actually peel it off and actually do the whole candy, which is what we call confit. It's like if you know what an orangette is or the candied orange slices. Um, or you can actually peel it off with a peeler and then chop it up and then just rub it in with some sugar. And that, that is in the book. There's a lime zest that I do in the book for the top of the strawberry lime cake. And that's in the book. 
So there's a lot of ways to use this. Yes. Okay. So gluten-free, the recipes that are like baking type recipes. So things like the tart dough and the pie dough, you're probably going to have to sub those. If you have a cup for cup type situation, you might be able to go ahead and use it, but you may want to go to your own gluten-free pie crust or tart crust recipe. But all of the fruit recipes themselves should be do really well for gluten-free. Obviously, things like mousses and poached items, uh, sauces, uh, anything that's stewed. So all of those things, none of them that I can even think of have any gluten in them at all. And one of the great things I think about the book is that, you know, it is technically a dessert and pastry book, but all of these fruit preparations would be fabulous on yogurt and waffles and oatmeal. I mean, they would just be really great at any time of the day. And also you could like the crepes, the apple saute with rosemary. You could just make that and serve that. I've done that a lot of times. I have a few apples in the fridge. I'm just going to saute up some fruit and serve that for dessert. Not worry about all the other things, right? And that's one of the best ways to enjoy it, I think. Because you're not going to make some of the things that are a little more, have more components. You're going to make those every day. But hopefully the fruit preparations that just themselves, you'll find those will be really helpful to pull those out. And you don't have to worry so much about measuring. I mean, yes, I give you a recipe in there. But that's the kind of thing where, you know, you're doing a saute like this. You can just kind of throw it together. All right. Can we give Lori another round? Thank you. Many thanks to Lori for visiting us at BookLarder. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of Simple Fruit and any other books featured on BookLarder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. We have signed copies of many of the featured books, so be sure to get one of those while they last. And if you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review to help others find us. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, including some we'll be adding with Lori in the coming months, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us in person at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Lara Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.